And today we're reading from the book of Jonah, talking about how God wants to save each and every person because they are his and they are so valuable. And Jonah chapter 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, Nineveh is an actual city. It's good to stop and talk about this. The Bible is a historical book, and it mentions real people, real places, real times, real things. This is a real story. And Nineveh is a real city. It was back then. It is now. We're talking about real people and a real situation. In fact, Nineveh was in the news just a few years ago. ISIS came through, and they destroyed invaluable monuments that had been around for centuries some of them for thousands of years, because Nineveh is that old. And ISIS came through and they destroyed all those things, many of them Christian relics, artifacts. And it was a great loss. And Nineveh still exists today. That's the thing that blew me away. These things that were destroyed, a lot of them were around from the early church. It's incredible to think that all of these things happened and the history has extended from then until now, unbroken, Nineveh's a real city. It's real people we're talking about here. Real people that God created. Real people that God loves. It's about 500 miles northwest of Israel. And they were enemies with Israel. In fact, Nineveh was a brutal place. We have many tales of their violence, not just in the scriptures, but also in other literature as well. The Bible is usually well-documented, well-preserved, but... Not so much, oftentimes, with other parts of history. People treated the scripture like it was sacred, and so they handed that down and down. But when you find all of these other situations as well in the extra-biblical literature and the culture, that means there was lots of things written down about it because most of those things did not survive. And here Nineveh was a brutal place. Their violence was terrible. You read many stories about how violent they were. And here as we read the word of God, we don't know what it is specifically about their violence. But whatever it is, it says their evil has come up before the Lord. Now this is really bad news for Nineveh. If you're reading the Bible from cover to cover, if you're going through, looking at the story of what's happening, you've seen this language a few times before. One of the times is with Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis Chapter 18, 20, and 21, Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. Whenever the violence, the outcry comes to the Lord, this is not the situation you want to be in. And the Lord says, If not, I will know. And what happens to Sodom and Gomorrah? The cry before the Lord is great. The violence, the the evil has come to the Lord and he's had to say, no more. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. That's what the, the angels say as they enter the city. The Lord has said, no more. The evil is too great. This place is done. And it's not just Sodom and Gomorrah that is judged in this way. The land of Canaan, the same type of thing. Deuteronomy chapter 7, 1 through 6. The Lord says to the people of Israel, their evil has come before me, and it is great. And so he sends the Israelite army out to destroy the people of Canaan, to completely wipe them out. 
Because they are so evil, it needs to stop. And as you read through this, you read about God judging people in this lifetime, not waiting for them to stand before his throne of judgment in the afterlife. He does it at different points through Scripture. He does it now. And people have a hard time with this, especially Americans. Super interesting. Third world countries have no problem with this. In fact, Americans frequently go on the blogs, go on the websites, talk to an atheist. If you talk to anybody who's read the Bible, say, how could a loving God do this? How could they do that? Well, in America, we think loving gods don't do this. But in other countries where they've experienced evil, like we can only imagine, they have no problem with it. They cheer God's judgment. They wait for God's judgment themselves. Lord, come and judge these people oppressing us. We need you. If you look at the communist and socialist regimes of the 20th century, Miroslav Volf, a theologian that came out of there, said, only you first world people are offended by God's judgment. We need it here. We've gone through communism. We've gone through socialism. We've gone through Stalin killing millions. We've gone through Mao killing millions. Look at the Sudan. Look at the genocide. The evil is so great. We need God's judgment. Here in America, we don't understand that. And one of the things that we're going to talk about in sermons fairly regularly, we're not going to go out of our way to discuss it, but it is all throughout Scripture, it is God's judgment. There's been many famous Christians who have stepped away from their faith. One of my favorite children's YouTube stars stepped away from their faith. They made all these Christian videos, and then one day they read the Bible, and they said, well, how could a loving God do this? And they gave up their faith. And you think, what happened? Didn't you pay attention to any of the sermons? I don't know if their churches didn't talk about it. I don't know if they listened to their pastors, and their pastors said, read God's word. I don't know how they managed to miss it. But they did, and it shocked them. And so they gave up their faith. We've had multiple worship leaders of megachurches influencing tons of people, writing tons of songs about God's salvation, reading the word as adults who've worked in churches for a decade, saying, wait a minute, how can a loving God do this? I'm out. What was your song about? What did you think he was saving you from? Some moldy cheese in the refrigerator? A smell from the basement? Like... We're talking about sin and hell and death. That's the point of this. The evil that encounters, and we're so pampered. We are so fortunate. We're so blessed that we have become outrageous fools. Hard times create strong, good people, which create great times, which create weak people, which create hard times. Guess where we're at? We are very weak. We're weak in our knowledge of our faith. We're weak as our ability to follow the Lord, and we need to turn back to him. If you're looking for practical application today, as you read through the scriptures, the outcry of the evil of humanity came before the Lord for Sodom and Gomorrah. They didn't last much longer. The outcry of the evil of the people of Canaan came before the Lord, and the Lord is not hasty to judgment. If you read Genesis chapter 15, 16, it says God waited 400 years. He told Abraham, I'm going to give you this land someday, but I'm going to wait because the sin of the people is not yet complete. God desires the death of no one. He gave them 400 years to turn from their sin. Talk about patience, but he knew. He's a God who's all-knowing. 
He didn't make the choice for them to reject him, but he knew that they would make it. And a just and loving God gives us our choice. 400 years from now, I'm going to give you this land. The outcry of their evil is going to come before me, and it's going to have to stop. It's a good and loving God doesn't let evil go on unchecked. And when a people thoroughly reject the Lord, the Lord knows it. He's all-knowing. He knows when people have fully made that decision. He knows when people have so wholeheartedly turned from him and chosen Satan that it is loving to remove them from this world. And you, you, you talk about that and people get all offended because we think, all we can think about is our culture. We think that Sodom and Gomorrah and, and Nineveh, I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah were judged when their evil came before the Lord. Canaan was judged when their evil came before the Lord. Lord now Nineveh is going to be next, it looks like. And we think, well, these places, oh, there must have been people just like us, right? You, in Nineveh, you, you could have been able to like pack your kids in the Honda Odyssey with a double stroller and gone to the park and pull them out and taken a walk at sunset. Hey, Ninevites, how you guys doing? Oh, yes, this is our little one. Look at this. How are you guys doing? Read the story about Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at what happens to the people who visit the city. They visit the city and a gang comes out to meet them. Read about who comes out to meet them and what they're planning to do to them. It is a culture completely corrupt. And at some point, it becomes loving for God to remove that presence. They are people just like us. Just like us, they had a choice. And they chose to wholeheartedly reject the Lord and wholeheartedly embrace evil and a loving God. A loving God is the God who steps forward to say no more. Now, when you think about something we can relate to, you look at World War II, and all of a sudden, it kind of clicks. You're like, yeah, that's good. That is good for the Lord to step in. Did you see what was happening? Did you see? Did you read the stories? Did you look at the the technology of the German military, if, if the Lord didn't step forward at that time to use the allies to remove these people from the face of the earth, they would have conquered the earth. It would have been terrible. Praise the Lord. Now we can say it for that. Praise the Lord, because it's a little nearer. We've heard, we've taught, you know, they've talked about the ashes that would fall from the sky as they burn bodies. Like we've heard those stories. We've heard about the smell that would come. From these places, thank the Lord for the men that went over and stopped that evil. Praise God. Now, I don't know if God, I can't speak for him. There's nothing in the scripture that he says he used the allied armies. I want to be very careful with what I say because I'm not someone who can pick out God's judgment. But it seems to make sense to me. And while I can't say it for sure, if God did use the allied armies to destroy the Nazi armies... I would say, praise the Lord. What a loving God. And that is what he's done here. A loving God looks down at Nineveh and says, their, their evil has come before me. If you've been reading the Bible, you know what's next. And they're not people that are different than us, and that's what makes us freak out. We think, well, they're people just like me. And I think about the people of Nazi Germany. Before any of this happened the last few years and things like that, I thought about the people of Nazi Germany. I used to think, like, how could they be so weak to not stand up and do anything? And I used to think, I'm no different than they are. It's not like I'm a different human being with different genetics. 
How would I do the same? Probably. I don't know. I, I have a choice. God's given me a choice. I don't want to be so prideful to say that I would have been the one to lead the charge. I would hope so. But I looked at Nazi Germany. I thought, well, how could those people be so weak? They're people just like me. Now I look at our culture and I see how people are being discriminated against, fired from their positions for their jobs. How we're literally monitoring a cold right now. It's literally a cold. Please look at the statistics on Omicron. It's not killing anyone. Praise God. Why aren't we happy? Why aren't we celebrating? It's a cold. We're fine. Instead, people get fired and no one stands up. They're losing their livelihoods. We don't care because we're weak. We've had good times and now we're weak people and we need to repent and turn to the Lord. We've been doing a lot of things in our culture that Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed for. We're doing a lot of things in our culture that Nineveh was destroyed for. I don't know what God will do, but Sodom and Gomorrah is first. Canaan was next. Nineveh looks like they're in line after that. I don't know where we are in the process, but I would think it could be a whole lot better. I would think most of what we're reading in the book of Jonah applies to the United States of America today. And they're no different than us. And so we freak out. How could God destroy them? They're no different than me. We get that. I don't want to be destroyed. I don't want God to judge me. Here's the thing. If we are any better than Nineveh, if we're any better than Sodom and Gomorrah, if we're any better than Canaan, if we're any better than the other people rejecting God in the United States of America, then we need to give God the glory for that. Because we are the same as them. And if we are any different, doing different things on a different path, we give glory to God. They say Jesus, they say to Jesus, good teacher. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? There is one good but God. And Jesus is not saying, don't call me good. What he's saying is, do you see who I am? You call me good, what does that mean? Take the, take the logical step of faith. I'm God. Jesus claimed to be God there. But he says, why do you call me good? There's only one source of good, and that is God. And you and I are not sources of good. We might like to think we are. You're not. You're the same as the people of Canaan, the same as Sodom and Gomorrah, the same as Nineveh. And if God has got you on a different path, we owe the glory to the Lord, not to ourselves. We didn't come to this ourselves. We owe the word of God, the influence of his Holy Spirit in our country, in our nation, in our life. Who preached to you the gospel? Who gave you a Bible? Salvation is a gift from God so that no one can boast. And as we talk about God's judgment, we're not standing in judgment of other people. We're no better than them. If there's anything good in me, praise Jesus. He gets the glory. Apart from God, we are just as worthy of judgment as the people that are destroyed in the scriptures. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, And you were once dead in trespasses, So you were Dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Apart from God, we follow our leader, Satan, and where he leads, we follow. And apart from God, as you look through history, it backs up the theology, which states apart from God, there is no evil we won't sink to. Look at the evil of humanity, what we've done throughout centuries to each other. 
Apart from God, we follow Satan. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, amongst whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We're just like them. And if I'm not receiving God's judgment, it's only because he's giving me what I don't deserve. He's giving me his mercy. Grace is giving us something that we don't deserve. And he's given that to us. And so praise the Lord. And so we read about this, and we get frightened by it. But a loving God destroys evil. A loving God says, no more, I won't let you do that to people anymore. And praise him. Praise him for his judgment on those cities in the Old Testament. He knew what he was doing. He knew what needed to be done. And he did that for the sake of all of the people who love him and wanted to follow him. And God desires the death of no one. And so what did he do before he judged? Well, he sent in Canaan, he sent his messengers. Abraham pleaded with them. If there's five righteous people, don't destroy the city. God's like, hey, you don't have to worry about that. I'm more merciful than you are. If there's five righteous people, I'll make sure that they're okay. And he sends the angels in to find anybody who loves him in that town to give them another opportunity to turn and repent. And it's just a lot. They're just one little family. That's how thoroughly corrupt and wicked they were. He destroys Canaan as he sends the Israel armies out into that and says, take them all out. This can't happen anymore. But what does he do before that? He gives them 400 years. And God desires the salvation of the people of Nineveh. And so what does he do? He sends somebody. Jonah. Get in there, pal. You're up. Cry out against this city. We don't want anybody to be lost. Go in. Find anyone who loves me. And the United States, uh, who's he sent? He sent you. He sent you. He sent me. We got to get out there. Here's a great example of getting out there. And we've talked about this a few weeks ago. We talked about how Satan doesn't want his things discussed because he knows if you discuss it, people will hear the word of God and they'll come to know the truth. And so... You go to work, boy, there's evils that you just can't even touch. We can't discuss that here. You'll get fired. You go to your family gathering. We can't talk about that at this table because you'll offend the person who's following Satan. Satan doesn't want conversation. And in the church, doing our own pride, I mean, there's plenty of times that pastors out of fear of doing a bad job, of being unprepared, of not knowing, of failing the Lord, pastors, leaders, shut down questions because they get threatened by them. That is leaders in the church following Satan. We need to talk about the word of God. We need to talk about good and evil. And when we do, people change. That's why God sends Jonah. Not all the time. God gives us free choice. People might use that free choice to continue to follow Satan and reject God. But some will be saved, sometimes many, sometimes most. 
The story of Jonah is incredible because people think the miracle is that a guy fell into the ocean and God saved him by having him being swallowed by a fish and then spit up on sea and he's okay. I don't think I can believe that miracle. People don't get swallowed by fish. We know that. You can't live in a fish's stomach. I can't believe that. That's not the miracle of the book of Jonah. That pales in comparison to the true miracle in the book of Jonah. The miracle is of God's pursuing love. He sends Jonah to the city. And the real miracle is that people listen. Have you ever tried to get through to somebody? What a miracle. What a move of the Lord. I can, I'll believe an entire, an entire football team gets swallowed by fish before I can imagine a whole city committed to evil turning and following the Lord. What a miracle. And when we talk about God's word, people will change. Here's some brave people. Five years ago, actually, uh, we were dedicating one of our children. She's right in front. We were dedicating grace, and we're celebrating the gift of new life, just like we are today. Dedicating her. And as we're celebrating, as we're getting out of the hospital, bringing her home, it's just so exciting. It's so wonderful. You thank the Lord, you're just... It's just wonderful. And I sat down and I turned on the computer and I went and, and some very brave people went undercover without the consent of those they were recording and they record Planned Parenthood doctors. And the Planned Parenthood doctors were set up to think that they were selling, they were there at a meeting to sell the organs of the babies they were killing, crushing, destroying, and harvesting for money. And so you sit down and the person's not doing that, but he's setting them up. I'd like to buy some things. How do I know I'll get them in good condition? And you could watch the doctors. You can still go on it today. You can watch the doctors, these women, as they say, well, you know what we do is we, well, we do this a lot, and so if we know we're going to be selling these organs, we make sure to use a less crunchy technique. And we make sure, like, we know where the heart and liver are, so we crush around those things. And you could go, and you could see the undercover video of, of these nurses in the room looking at the petri dish and reorganizing the tissue and saying, oh, look, it's a boy. In jest. I mean, there is no evil that we will not sink to apart from Christ, apart from God. I can't imagine anything more evil. And you go on, and I'm just watching this, and I'm watching this, and I'm just thinking, here's the way of the Lord, and here's the way of Satan. How could it be any clearer? And the reason I bring that up is not just to Go out of my way to mention a grievous sin? Single people who've done this sin out? No, we are actually in a situation because of their work. Because of their work and the conversation that's surrounded that the Supreme Court is going to revisit Roe versus Wade in 2022. Be praying. Mississippi said, no, we're not going to allow abortions to 24 weeks, which is what Roe v. Wade said. We're going to do it to 15 weeks. And Supreme Court, we want you to go back and reverse your decision. And there's other states that have followed suit. In fact, as our nation turns from sanity and goes nuts, this is one of the ways that God is moving really powerfully. There's all these states that are going back because a conversation has been started. And you look at these people and say, I don't want to be like them. That's evil. And people start deciding to follow the Lord. It's fantastic. You, you, you just talk about it, and the evil comes out, and, and, the, and people turn the other way. I would go to my friends and say, what do you think about these videos? And, they, you know, it's like they get their talking points from the blogs they read. I don't know what blogs they read. I try to read these things and find out, but, you know, you can kind of, and they say, well, 
The real thing, I can't believe that they took those videos without consent. And you hear people say that. And everyone hears it and says, oh, man. Now, some will use their free choice to continue down the path of evil. But anybody with ears to hear or eyes to see is going to say, you strain at gnats and you swallow a camel hole. You hypocrite. It's gross. I want to follow the Lord. That's why Satan doesn't want you talking about it at work. He doesn't want you talking about it at the dinner table. He's afraid he might lose his followers. And Satan hates life. He hates you. He hates these kids. He wants less of it. So we talk about how he wants us to reject being created in the image of God as males and females because that's going to lead to more life. He causes people to reject the relationship which God created, intended, and blessed objectively, scientifically, observably. The relationship between a man and a woman. It can do what no one can do. Just like God creates, that relationship creates. Satan wants us to reject it. And then if we do happen to get pregnant after all that, God wants us to view our children as a burden and get rid of them. That's his agenda. In our country, we've been following it really closely. But God is moving. And so be in prayer. Be in prayer for 2022. I don't want to stand in judgment of those abortion doctors. It's not my job to judge. Again, I am a child of wrath just like them. If I was in their position, why wouldn't I be doing what they're doing? I need people to preach the gospel to me. I need God's word to guide me. I need the church to guide me. We talked about how beliefs change what you do. A few weeks ago, we started our sermon series in the image of God, and we talked about how we're created in the image of God. That belief changes everything about our life when we think about it, when we live by it, and how people in our culture and our culture's creation myth, they don't have that truth. They believe that they're nobody headed nowhere, and ultimately there's no objective purpose for their lives. And if you believe that, why wouldn't you become an abortion doctor? Big Pharma will sell you hormones to destroy your body. They'll mutilate you genitally and take your money for a mental illness. Tattoo artists will take you and make your face all puffy and look like a tiger and color you orange so that you can go around and think you're a cat. They don't care. If you don't believe that people are valuable, why would you care about destroying them? But God is different. God loves us. And we have been given his word to go forward and preach it. And I'm no different than them. If it wasn't for the church, I don't know where I'd be, especially in this culture. Might be marching down the street with funny colored hair. Myself, completely lost, encouraging others to follow me. And if it weren't for the presence of God in my life, I would be just as blind as they are. Thank God for his word. Thank God for his Holy Spirit, which gives people who follow him a knowledge of the value of people that others don't have. Praise God. Praise God that I can see the value of people. Praise God when I see somebody rearranging a child in a dish, it breaks my heart rather than being a calloused individual who jokes about what they've just done. I mean, it's... Praise God for that, because that didn't come from me. 
It comes from his word, his spirit, and his truth. God loves you. God loves our culture. He wants to save it, not destroy it. And so he sends us out. He sends Jonah to call against it. And here's the deal. If you're an unbeliever here today, you're committing the greatest sin you can, which is unbelief. That's the ultimately the only sin that God will judge us on is our rejection of him. That's why in the Bible it says the unforgivable sin is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That means when the Holy Spirit comes and knocks on your heart and says, put your faith and trust in me and follow Jesus, you say, no, that's actually the only sin that's going to be sending us to hell because we're imperfect. We're sinful. We'll be committing plenty of them. Thank God for his mercy that we can be forgiven and saved. Ultimately, the one that we're judged for is our rejection of him. And if you're an unbeliever, that's exactly what you're doing. You're rejecting him. God is a source of all good things, and you're saying, I don't want any of that. You might convince yourself differently, but you're blind. And that is ultimately what you are doing. And if you're here today, it's no coincidence. Just like it was no coincidence that God sent Jonah to Nineveh. If you're hearing these words today, it's no coincidence. God wants to save Nineveh. He wants to save you. What a blessing that we can turn and be forgiven for all of our sins through Jesus Christ. That's why he came, to save every one of us. John 3.16 says, For, those, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but be saved. Whoever believes in him. But those who don't believe in him are condemned. And God gives us that choice. He sent Jonah to save Nineveh with his word. He sent these words to save you. God wants you to hear them and believe in him and repent of your sins and be saved. I preached on this five years ago. As this thing happened, as these videos came out, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. What a wonderful thing that it's done to our culture. And I pray we continue down that path. But I preached about this five years ago. And afterwards, you know, it was, just, it, it was an incredible God moment. We had a guy at our church, just the best guy. Happiest guy. He just had an infectious laugh. Great guy. Couldn't help but love him. And he had a sister who was miserable. And he, he just, hey, how are you doing? And she, I mean, she was miserable. We're always trying to get her to come to church. She never would come. She couldn't get out of the house. Couldn't wake up in the morning. It was awful. Well, she came to church that day and she heard this message. And afterwards she came up and she said, So I understand that uh, abortion is a sin, but how can God forgive it? And it's like, well, it's not theological to her, obviously. And the great thing about Jesus is there's no sin that's too powerful for his forgiveness. That's why he came and died on the cross. His power is that there's nothing that Satan can lead us in that he can't reverse, forgive, and make right. God doesn't just love the 50 million people who have been aborted in our nation, who should be filling these seats, who should be out at our jobs, filling those empty positions. He doesn't just love them. He loves the women who have made the decision as well and wants their salvation also. I can see why she's miserable. 
the weight of that on your shoulders would make me miserable. But the freedom of Jesus Christ would heal her. And I know it does in my own life, too. I think, oh, whoops, can't take that one back. And the more I carry the weight of that, the more miserable I am. But the more I focus on the freedom that comes in Jesus Christ, and the more I put my faith in him that he's removed that sin from me, the freer I feel. And the more that she does that, the freer she'll feel. There's no sin that's too strong for the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And so make the choice to believe in him. Jesus says about those who are receiving God's judgment, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for them. Those who hear God's Holy Spirit calling them to believe in him and reject it will be judged with a greater judgment than the one that is so offensive to so many in the scriptures. When you reject God, you're rejecting all the source of all good things. You might say, well, I'm not a bad person. I haven't done this, I haven't done that. Well, that's not your own doing. If you haven't done this or that, you owe that, even that, to the influence of God in our culture. If you're not doing the things in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, it's not because you're a good person. It's because you're standing on the culture of Christianity in which you're following certain things of God and convincing yourself that you are godly and that you are good. But we owe God all the glory for that. We are no different than the people who deserve his judgment. And when we reject God, we're rejecting the source of all good things. And that is worthy of his punishment. And on the flip side, when we open up our hearts and we reject our sin and we embrace the Lord, then we're receiving the goodness of God in our life. And we'll receive that at our judgment. And we'll be forgiven. And we'll see God right the wrongs that we've done. Boy, that's something that I can't wait for. Come, Lord Jesus. That's why Christians can say, come, Lord Jesus. Because we've got something better coming. We're not going to miss out on anything. If he comes today, I sure want lunch. I'm going to have a delicious, but you know what? I'm not going to miss out on anything if he comes right now. Because something better is coming. And I know it. The Christian can stand before the Lord. If you read the Psalms, King David, Psalm after Psalm, he says, Lord, judge me. Why would anyone want that? Because he knows he's forgiven. He knows he'll receive none of the judgment for his sins, his sins because of God's grace, but he'll only receive God's blessings and deliverance at judgment. So David says, come, Lord Jesus. Ezekiel says, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone declares the Lord God, so turn and live. 2 Corinthians says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. When Jonah goes to Nineveh and calls out their sin, it's not to make them feel bad. It's not to condemn them. It's to let them know, hey, the evil is so great, it's come before the Lord. And you know what? If you don't want these trespasses counted against you, here's the good news. As we talk about abortion, it's to spread the good news. Praise God. I was able to pray with that woman. She repented of her sin. And she received God's forgiveness. I pray that she walks more and more in that every day. Praise God. 
Someone heard and was saved. Don't stop talking about it. God has given you the job to talk about it. Who will you share God's message with? Think of a person. In Nineveh, there are real people who need God's word in your life. There are real people who need you. Because if you don't, where will they hear it from? Think about that person. I want you to come back next week. And we're going to write the name of that person down on our bulletin in a card. And we're going to keep that. We're going to pray for them. And we're going to pray that God would prepare their hearts for when we share God's word with them. And then we're going to hold ourselves accountable for sharing God's word with them in his time. But we're going to do it. God has called you to do it. And who are you going to share his word with? Jonah's not about a guy getting eaten by a big fish. It's a message of God's pursuing love. And God loves that person in your life so much that he's sending you.